I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, one and all, to episode 260 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we welcome back from Yarg Metal, Mr. Brad Dahl. This is the New Year's Yarg episode. Yeah, we're halfway through February, but it's the first time that we're having Brad on this month. So there you go. Or this year, I should say, not this month. I'm reading notes and trying to say things at the same time. So I apologize. It is always fun to have Brad on. Um, This interview took place a little over a week ago. Took place on the 4th of February. Just a lot of things going on in my personal life. So this is coming out a few days later than I wanted it to come out. And... um, Yeah, so I apologize for the tardiness on that. Um, As I've said in the past, life sometimes gets in the way. And as much as I would like to keep up with the schedule of releasing episodes every Friday, sometimes just does not happen. So for that, I do apologize. Uh, In any event, we're here now. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, You know, there's a million other shows you could listen to. There's a lot of other things you could do, but you're choosing to spend time with me in this show right now. And for that, I am very grateful. Uh, the episode was recorded during, as most of the episodes that are released now in podcast format, on the Signals from Mars live stream. That takes place every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, uh, 11 p.m. in the UK, and midnight. If you're in the Central European time zone, you can join us live. Join us in the chat. Send your comments. Um, Brad is hosting because he actually won Trivia Tuesday. Trivia Tuesday is a show that I do every Tuesday exclusively on Twitch because it's the only platform where I can pull it off the way that I want to. It's a multiple choice quiz show where I put together a bunch of questions and you can answer on the screen of your tablet, your phone, or your computer just by clicking. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to install anything outside of Twitch and you can just take it from there. You have the option of letting us know who you are so that I don't say, hey, participant 7,928 is ahead of participant 1,072. So, yeah. So there's that. It's always a lot of fun. And it comes down to the last few questions. Almost always. Uh, Sometimes even the last question. Uh, It's usually a random mix of questions, except once per month. The last Tuesday of the month, I usually do a band related. I, I focus on one band for that specific show. And I'm looking at the calendar now. Yeah, we've got one more Tuesday to go next week. Since we're going to be doing a rush special this week, next week's special will be uh, next week's Trivia Tuesday. We'll focus on rush. The winners of the show right now, I'm offering a few different prizes. Either you could get a discount to the merch store, which we set up or which I set up 
little while back. Uh, you could get discounted shipping. So if you win one week and you get the uh, $5 discount and you win another time you want to combine that with the free shipping, I'm cool with that. Uh, also, Brad co-hosted uh, because he won. He would have co-hosted anyway, but <laughs> it was just one of those things that I threw out there. Hey, if you win, you can co-host Metal Dan, who is currently, uh, or I don't know if it's over yet, but the Monsters of Rock Cruise, Metal Dan uh, was going to be there, and he was going to be flashing the Mars Attacks merch, and he won one week, so he's going to be coming on the show to tell us all about the Monsters of Rock Cruise in the next few weeks. So, in any event... Jeremy Weltman is back with his patron's pick. Let's get into that. Here's Jeremy Weltman with patron's pick. Hello, everyone. And we're moving very swiftly into February. How quick is this year going already? Yes, the month of January has already finished. And this week, there are 20 new studio albums on MarsAttacksRadio.com. There is an EP or two. There are five reissues, including one by Gajira, one by Steel Panther. Uh, there's a live album from Evergrey and two compilations also, including one of Faster Pussycat music. So there's a lot to be uh, listening to over this week. Uh, there was new music from the British prog band Jethro Tull, even. Um, also another UK band, Praying Mantis and uh, an instrumental album by Steve Vai, among many others, which are worthy of mention. There's certainly a, a decent album out during the week from the punky hardcore German band uh, Toxpack. Uh, it's called uh, Zwanzig Tausend Volt, I think you pronounce it. 20,000 volts in English. Uh, and there's some okay songs on the Nasson album Scars, uh, certainly for, for enthusiasts of uh, Frontiers output. There's a pretty good, solid classic rock album from Crystal Ball that features Ronnie Romero chiming in on, on a track. I also recommend giving a listen to uh, Blunt Cutters by Lorma Death. Um, if you like sort of short, punky tracks, which they tend to do, it's um, certainly worth a listen. That really leaves me to suggest a patron's pick for this week. And it wasn't too difficult, really. This week, I've chosen MK Ultra. Um, by Generation Kill. I've not really taken much notice of the band, um, partly due to the fact they've had a, a hiatus for, for some years. This is the third album, and it's come after a nine-year gap, I think it is. They um, so, so I haven't really got much idea how it compares either, because I haven't really listened to them much before this album. But I certainly love the vibe on it. There's some uh, great traditional metal and, and, and sort of thrash riffs on this especially on the, the tracks Evil Eye, the, uh, the title track itself, um, and on a track called Dogs of War. I like um, pretty much all of, all of the tracks on this. There's a, there's a few guest appearances there. There are 10 songs in all. There's uh, nearly 41 minutes, and it's uh, typically apocalyptic metal. It's certainly worth a repeat listen. Um, I'd say it's metal for 2022, and this week, patron's pick is Generation Kills. MK Ultra. But wait, there's more. So, for reasons that Victor will probably explain or has explained already, there is a second patron's pick this week, a bonus patron's pick. 
And as well as a new Korn album, there's the usual clutch of studio releases. There's a few EPs, there's uh, some reissues, all the usual stuff being released during the past week. I'd give a big shout out for the Anisoke, I think you say that's how you pronounce it, Anisoke album. It's called Aurora. It's very good. It's very worth listening to. I like the music, but I have a big beef with it. And it's a beef that I know Victor's raised in the past himself. Why release a deluxe copy one year after the original album release? It is completely wrong. You're having a laugh with your fans. People who've bought the original album now wonder why they bought it and they need to buy the um, the deluxe edition. It's certainly something that wouldn't be done by the band of the week, the patrons pick this week, which is Saxon. The Barnsley Barnstormers, formerly known as Son of a Bitch, are back with their 24th studio album. Right on the heels of a covers album last year, you've had a Biff studio album, you've also had an album that he did with his son, I um, can't remember what the band name was called, something Water. Uh, Victor will film it, fill you in on that in a minute. Um, this one is called Carpe Diem, Seize the Day. It certainly treads well-worn fretboards. It's full of classic Saxon riffs. It's a fun album. It's formulaic, of course, uh, but it's a comfort blanket of British old school metal. It gets better with every listen as well. I've played it three or four times now, and I'm really getting into a lot of the tracks from the title track uh, that that opens the album uh, through to The Age of Steam, which um, comes in second place, very like The Secret of Flight, which was on the last album. And then it goes all the way through to uh, Remember the Fallen, which is um, not a war epic, but um, it's an epitaph to COVID victims. And and we're still only on side one. Um, So side two continues. There's lots of great riffs on there, some good songs. It's a very cohesive album. It's an album that really, for me personally, being in in the UK, um, makes me proud to be British. Um, It makes me proud to be a metal fan. And um, it makes me proud that I was actually alive in 1980, or as as Biff often says, 1980, because that's how you say it in Yorkshire. Um, He's now 72, um, and apart from a few sort of um, high-pitched notes that that, that seem a bit odd um, on a couple of the tracks, I think he's just struggling a little bit to reach those notes. He's still going really well, and he's certainly... um, certainly, doing it where Ozzy is failing to at the moment. So um, there's nothing dramatically different about this album. It's just solid balls-out rock. It satisfies the fans, and uh, that includes several of Victor's patrons as well, not just me. Uh, And that's why this week, Saxon's Carpe Diem is patron's pick. And the answer that Jeremy was looking for is Heavy Water is the project that Biff did with his son. So there you go. I want to thank Jeremy for doing two patrons picks, obviously because I was delayed with one of the other episodes. There was a whole overlapping thing here as well. So I apologize for that. Uh, Hopefully as of this Friday, things will be back on schedule to how I wanted to have them. Uh, But yeah, again, life gets in the way and shit happens basically so um i want to send the shout out to my patrons because they are the greatest uh so let me just um i'll run them down here 
Uh, one by one, let's go news to oldest. We have uh, Art Ruiz, my brother. We have Anthony Mackey in Ireland. I've been saying the UK in the past, which is wrong. It is Ireland, which is not part of the UK. Um, we have Steve Saylor. We have Ed Ferguson. Ed the Shred Ferguson. We have the metal uh, politician, Johan. Up in Sweden, we have Metal Dan, who's currently cruising, if I'm not mistaken. We have Jerry. Jerry, I haven't heard from you in a little bit. Hope everything is okay. I hope to see you this Friday for the Rush special. We have Jose in Connecticut. We have from the Chris and Amanda show, Mr. Chris Vaglio. We have, excuse me. <coughs> we have the Metal Dentist, uh, Gabriel Ruiz. We have Mr. Yarg Metal, Brad Dahl, who is coming up in a second. We also have our Mike Jones. We have Mr. Patron's pick, Jeremy Weltman, who we just heard from. And we have the Hokenator, uh, Twisted Steve Hoker. Thank all you guys for your support. I greatly appreciate it. For as little as two bucks a month, you can be a patron. You can be involved in the upcoming Rush discussion or any of the patron-exclusive discussions that we have. And you'll be privy to videos that I post on a daily basis and comment back and forth with people. For example, uh, just to give you a taste of what is getting posted and we'll be commenting on this week. We have videos from Killing Joke, uh, Crysix, Cobra Spell, Yes, Cold Night for Alligators, Spirit the Air, Breathe Atlantis, Spite, Spiral Skies, Oni, New Horizons, Storm Ruler, Hangman's Chair, Cane Hill, Call Me Charisma, and the Neptune Power Federation, which will technically kick off next week's uh, a set of uh, videos. Yeah, it's Saturday, so I guess it's the end of this week. But uh, yeah, so if you like checking out music that you may not hear otherwise, you want to comment on it with like-minded people, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, click on the icon for Patreon, and join us. We'll welcome you with open arms. In any event, let's get into the episode with Brad. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday, February 4th edition of the Signals from Mars live stream. We have a stick twirler on tonight's show. <laughs> Not really, but um, we are going to talk about sticks. We Not are, the band. Not the band. I said, well, well, you'll have to talk to Mr. Striegel about them. I, I wouldn't be able to help you out. Um, yeah. We uh, want to say hello to uh, Jose in Connecticut, who's joining us, and uh, Jeremy, who was followed over from the Fireside Show, uh, which was on before this. Um, and there you go, Johan as well. Johan joined us for the first time. It was a lot of fun. Johan was sticks big in uh, in Sweden. 
That's the, that's the band I was trying to think of when he was mentioning all these uh, AOR bands, you know. Right. I mean, Styx kind of fits into that now. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Styx in Sweden. Styx in Sweden. There you go. What Was Styx in Sweden a thing? So, um, way to find out. So, wow. So seeing you from, uh, from this different view, seeing that you have Roto Toms behind you. Yeah. 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 Let's get a look at the kit here. Yeah. 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 There it is in all its glory. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Johan is saying, no, they were not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Hello. How about In and Out Burger, Johan? Are they are they big in Sweden? There's only six In and Out Burgers in the entire world, there, and they're all in California. I think there's one in Arizona and one in Nevada, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there's actually a couple in Utah now, believe it or not. Is there? Okay. Yeah, all these Californians that are leaving California and moving to these other places, they're bringing In and Out with them. So there you well, go. I remember watching or actually listening. It was uh, the old Wall Street Journal podcast that they used to have uh, in the morning with Gordon Deal. Um, And they interviewed the original owner who now has passed it on to his niece, I believe. I think she runs the company. But back then, he basically said, hey, there's only six. We don't intend on going beyond six because that way we can control the quality of what we produce and he said at the time that the reason behind that is that a they go to uh, markets in the morning to get potatoes and to get meat and they want to make sure that it meets all of their you know quality control and then at the end of the day if anything is left over they donate it all to uh, food banks so yeah, sounds like a, a good setup to me. And when we were out in California, we had In and Out on more than one occasion. We loved it. So there you go. Yeah, if you don't like an In and Out burger, that says more about you than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the uh, from where you grew up? What was the big burger place that I mean, you know, everybody loved? Well, see, the thing is, we really only had. Uh, McDonald's and Burger King and, you know, Wendy's, at least in my area, Wendy's came in like the 80s. Um, we had, when I was a kid, Arthur Treacher, which was uh, Fish and Chips. Um, yeah. That okay. disappeared in the in the early 80s. Uh, we had Stewart's, which was, um, it, it was like the old 50s drive-in feel where you would pull up in your car and they would have waiters and waitresses come up to your windows and serve you. You know, they would put the, um, the tray on your window, like, you know, like what you would see in happy days and all that stuff. Um, but for the most part, you know, we didn't have a lot of, I, I think in California, there was a lot more stuff than, than we had. Like Sonic didn't exist until the nineties. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Well, Arby's and well, there used to be Roy Rogers as well. Yeah, um, I've I've seen them back east. Yeah, um, pretty much crap though, right? Um, 
Their burgers were all right. The the one thing that they had was they had a, a, a fixing station. So you could put whatever you wanted on the burgers. Nice. Um, I forget who absorbed them. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Obviously, we had Kentucky Fried Chicken. Boston Market came longer later. Boston Chicken, then Boston Market when they changed the name. Taco Bell. Trying to think what else. But the, there are things like Target, for example. We didn't get Targets until the, the 90s. And I remember I was in college radio and one of the, my contacts was like, you guys don't have a Target? Like, nope, we have Kmarts. Like, yeah, Kmarts are cheap. We have Targets. They're much better. It's higher quality uh, uh, merchandise. Well, they're still around. So what can you say? Kmart, not so much. Okay, Mark's done. And Sears yeah. is about to go under, aren't they, if they haven't? Yeah, they pretty much have. I mean, they're kind of exist in a weird alternative world. So I, I think Johan's sitting there going, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. <laughs> Fuddruckers, yeah. Fuddruckers is another one. Well, then the Fuddruckers fits in with the Red Lobsters of the world and um, Olive yeah. Gardens and... Uh, yeah. What, what about what about Shake Shack? Was that an East Coast thing? Do you know? Not not in our area. We didn't have Shake Shack. All right, I don't know what the history of that place is. My uh, my son Nathan, he loves Shake Shack, and uh, okay. Popeyes yeah. is another one. Whataburger. Yeah. I've never um, eaten at Whataburger. I, at all the times in uh, Texas, I usually go for um, uh, Mexican food when I'm in Texas because or Tex-Mex, you know, yeah. just because it's so good. But uh, I, I love, yeah, I love eating in Texas. Barbecue is really good there too. So, all right, well, enough of the food channel. Yes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> switch on oh, over. Who doesn't, who doesn't like food? Well, if you don't like it, then your bones on the, you know, your dust and bones. There you uh, go. I mean, you, you look at most, most of the YouTubers out there that are doing food stuff, man. Those are the guys that are making it big. You know, us in the rock business, we're we're struggling, man. We're scratching for yeah. everything we can get. So let's see. Jeremy went to Olive Garden in Orlando. I had trouble getting back in the car. I was so full. Uh, just so well, you know, Jeremy, Olive Garden is owned by the same company that owns McDonald's. They own McDonald's, Pizza Hut. Uh, Taco Bell, I believe Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I'm not sure what else, but because I remember I worked in a McDonald's, um, and what would happen was that we were allowed to exchange food with the other restaurants because they were part of the same corporation, and also the same local man, the same local owner, the same person that owned all the McDonald's in the area owned a lot of the other fast food places. So yeah, I kind of uh, think Jeremy was going to say, I, I had trouble getting back to the hotel in time to make it to the bathroom. But <laughs> that... <laughs> there you go. Speaking of which I had a guy today, I, I, I apologize for my appearance. I've been up since 5.00 AM and um, saving lives as I do. And uh, wearing my doc, wearing my doctor outfit. This thing used to fit me back in the day. Holy crap! I could actually button this thing up. Oh, by the way, hey, new Saxon album out today, kids. So yeah, 
Wheels of steel. But yeah, this, uh, I think you might see this as CEO Dave's lab coat from back in the days when he worked at a, a laboratory for Caterpillar that makes um, big diesel engines. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he was the, the chief oil analysis person there. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, back when I was uh, in the 80s in my band Paint Your Dog, I had this idea of it would look cool to wear like a big long coat on stage. This is before any of those Duran Duran guys or any of those 80s guys did it. Okay, I did it first. Okay, I'm going to take claim. But you can see there's dog prints on here. We actually painted it. We had a dog walk through paint and then walk on this this coat here. So this is part of my getup. God, I was a lot smaller back then. Um, it's so, weird how that happens, isn't it? So you're saying you predate the doctor from Prince's band? Yes, definitely. Well, he was dressed as a doc. He was dressed as a doctor. I was name was Doc. Yeah, yeah. I I was going for style, and you couldn't buy this kind of thing. Well, not here in Utah anyway. I mean, we used to shop in the the women's sections of the of you know the department stores, trying to find stuff to wear that was kind of interesting, cool, whatever. You know, this is uh, you know eighty four. And, uh, of course, the women when we were in there that, that worked there, they just thought it was awesome that we were, you know, wanting to try on all these things and then finding stuff to fit us. Of course, I was a lot smaller back then. That was always a trick. You know, you had the big uh, uh, shoulder pads and all that kind of stuff going on. And uh, but it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of girls wanting to take us into the, the uh, changing room. And it was those are good days, man. Really good. times. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to be young and be in a band, you know. Johan, was paint your dog big in Sweden? <laughs> uh, it is at his house, thank goodness. He's he's our biggest Swedish fan, thank and and uh, thank you for listening, Johan. I appreciate that. Yeah, the music actually was really good. It was a great band, great fun guys. We had a good time. We played a lot of gigs and uh, recorded some really really cool music. Wrote and recorded some great music. So, yeah, the eighties were great. I love the eighties. Cool. Uh, but yeah, now it's 2020s, 20, yeah. 2022, New Year's Yarg. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going to, we're going to start off this year. So yeah. So, uh, going along with food stuff, um, I had this guy today, his wife called because he wasn't feeling well this morning. So she thought, well, I'm going to give him a bunch of zinc and vitamin C to take to work. And didn't give him proper instructions, so he ate it all. Excellent. And then he went to a, a restaurant here called Crown Burger, which if you're ever in Utah, you got to eat at Crown Burger. They are legit good. Uh, Greek people and and the, the burgers there are fantastic. But uh, this poor guy, when he was at the Crown Burger, that's when everything kicked in in his gut. And he had stuff coming out both ends. And um, so, yeah, she thought, I, I poisoned my husband. and. Yeah, well, she did. But uh, yeah, it's like, I didn't think he'd take them all at once. You know, I thought I gave him enough for a week. And I, I said, well, it's Friday. I, you know, give him enough for one day. He's a man. Couldn't 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 she have given him a smint, which has zinc and, and vitamin C? Uh... You know, <laughs> just tell him, have, have one every four hours. Yeah, even that can be rough. But anyway, so yeah, he he came from the Crown Burger. He he was on. He came home uh, yeah. mostly to change clothes because he destroyed everything he was wearing, and uh, also because he was not fit for duty after that. Uh, so that was a good one. This is how my day started out. So that and so then many, uh, so many uh, things to take in. He went from 
crown from the crown to the throne. Yes. To, yes. To not being able to uh to be on duty after all of his duty. So this is see Victor, this is why you are the, the best host uh, on the internet, you know. The, the no nobody can touch you. And uh this is why everybody needs to join your Patreon so they can partake of this kind of witty banter on a regular basis. Yeah. I'd, uh, <laughs> what would we do? <laughs> I, I, I appreciate your, um, your sentiment. I would hope that others would think the same, but like, like I said, the, the tight knit group that we have is, is awesome. And hopefully we can slowly but surely expand it. Yeah. So the first call I got in the, during the six o'clock hour was a woman who said, and she, of course she had an accent and I can't do her accent. I don't even know what it was. Um, but she started off by saying I had a, a, I thought I was drinking coconut water, but I, it was a glass of bleach. And so this, this did not come anywhere near her how, rear end. How, how does, how does everyone end up drinking Bleach. How do, how do you mistake? I mean, do they have a drinking glass? Why? I mean, do, do they have the old, uh, you know, again, the old McDonald cups that are that are tinted where they can't tell that they've poured bleach into it? Well, if you look at it, I guess it is kind of yellow tinged, but, um, you know, and, and let's face it, the sun wasn't up yet. Okay. Did you smell yeah. it, though? Yeah, she drank. She said she drank four ounces of it before realizing it wasn't. Before realizing, water. yeah, before realizing. Okay, so was she? Was she? Yeah, the, Jeremy, you are correct. Um, did, I didn't ask her who she voted for. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of the train of thought here. This is similar to the to the lady whose ba whose kid drank it when she was trying to bleach her anus. Um, at what point, you know, again, that was story A and story B. She could have, you know, left story B out because it kind of had no consequence. Just say, hey, my kid drank bleach. In this case, I drank four quarts before realizing that what I was smelling and tasting was bleach. A, did she recently have COVID and, you know, lost all taste of smell and taste? Yeah. And, and yeah. Okay. Was she asleep? Was she drunk? You know, was, you know, th there's a few things here. Did, was, was she, had she have been, I don't know, partaking in something else where her sense of smell and taste are just so messed up that she couldn't tell it was bleach. But we've talked about this before, you know, Bleach, chloride, you know, uh, chlorine, it all kind of smells alike and tastes alike, you know. It well, in our in our business, you you learn not to ask why. It's just you know you, you just marvel in the magnificence of what people are willing to do and then share. So it's a it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, so my day started off just fantastic. I, I was very happy with that. But yeah, also why I'm not a I'm not a guzzler, I'm a sipper. Yeah, I, I I just got this guys before the show. I did fill this up with some bleach. I've gotten almost it's it's one point two liters of bleach. I think that you know I drank a hundred you know, <laughs> milliliters of bleach 
you know, um, what is that? A, a third of a quart or a third of a gallon, whatever that may be. I don't have it in my head, but anyway. Um, yeah, I'm now realizing that I was drinking bleach. So bottoms up with the bleach. I'll, I'll drink to that. There you go. So what's yeah. happened with uh, Bleach Woman? Um, she vomited. Okay. So you would. If, if a normal person drinks bleach, they throw up. Um, and her throat was sore. And uh, that, that's pretty much, yeah, what you would expect. She said her stomach was hurting. So, of course, we're going we're gonna to keep an eye on her. She'll be fine. Yeah. She'll, she'll be totally fine. And as Jeremy is saying in the chat, don't do this at home, folks. This is satire. We are being a bunch of, um, to, to quote, and I forget the episode of The Young Ones, but one of the characters said, stop being a smart aleck bastard. <laughs> so, yes, we, we, we are trying to be. No, we're, we're here to save lives. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, um, rock and roll is going to save the world. Yes. Which heavy Sorry, go ahead. There you go. Yeah, you did a, a, a yesterday and today uh in your um Patri your uh, Victor M. Ruiz podcast this week. That was perfectly timed. So well, it wasn't done purposely. It just kind of happened. That was like osmosis. The planets lined up and, you know, just a flicker of light took place. And it kind of, uh, you know, lined up to where the Dave Manichetti email had come in at the same time as I was reading the story or whatever. And I was able to uh, shoehorn the yesterday and today or, or Y&T um, comment there. You know what's funny about uh, Y&T? When I, was a, when I was a wee lad... There back in the 70s, in the late 70s, we go down and hang around uh, on Sunset Boulevard and hit all the clubs on Santa Monica Boulevard. And I'd often see uh, yesterday and today on the marquee. And I'm like, what, what is the deal with these guys? Uh, there was a picture of Dave Manichetti with a flying V. And mm -hmm. I figured, well, if anybody plays a flying V, they got to be rocking, right? Right. And then somebody said, oh, no, no, no. They're, they're like a Beatles cover band. Because I guess the name yesterday and today. And so I never looked into them because right. that's like I, I don't need, even need the original Beatles, let, let alone a cover band. And right. uh, yeah. And then later I found out, holy crap, these guys are not the Beatles. That's uh, your, your typical case of one of your friends trying to be a know-it-all and talking out of the uh, right side of their arse. And uh, being all important, well, it's yesterday, obviously, it was a Beatles song. So the yeah. band yesterday and today, they, they did a, they did part two of the song yesterday. So they play the song yesterday first. They play to, uh, today after. And then the third song in the series is tomorrow. Tomorrow never knows. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, so I missed out probably on some incredible shows because I'm sure they were awesome it's back then. You could have, you could have, we could be talking about how you saw YNT in a Portageon somewhere off of Santa Monica Boulevard. I know, I know. It's, it's pretty disappointing. Uh, the first time I did see YNT, though, and I wish Steve uh, was, is, I don't know if Steve's out there lurking, but was warming up for uh, Twisted Sister. So, oh, wow. 
Yeah. They were really, really good. I was on the uh, um, Rock and Roll is Going to Save the World tour. So it was great. Great show. They had the the really nifty outfits and everything. I think Dave Medichetti was dressed in pink, which was pretty hilarious. There's a video out there somewhere of that tour. So that means that was what? Come out and play by Twisted Sister? Yeah, yeah, that was when Twisted Sister first broke. So that's why they're headlining. It was it was why it was Twisted Sister, then YNT, and the warm-up band for all of that was Dawkin. And they just released Tooth and Nail. Okay, so, so earlier than what I'm saying. Yeah. So Dawkin, when they hit the stage, oh my gosh, they were unbelievable. Uh I mean they were they were just on fire. Uh George Lynch. Phew. Uh, what a great, what a great band. So I went out, of course, and bought that album right after the show and then f- couldn't find their first album anywhere. It was really tough to find at that point and right. found, out, found out it wasn't near as good. So I, I still yeah. think Tooth and Nails are best record. So great. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually listened to Tooth and Nail not too long ago for, for me, I do, uh, I, not that any of their albums are flat out bad, although people would argue that maybe Shadow Life isn't that good. Um, I think Tooth and Nail and Back for the Attack are probably their two best albums. Uh, more than anything, because the albums are good from front to back. I think Under Lock and Key, although it has a lot of hits on there, has a lot yep. of filler. Yeah. Um, and I never really cared for the first album outside of you know, breaking the chains I mean, Paris is, is burning is okay, but the rest of the album was just kind of okay. Well, I mean, yeah, we, we all know those songs have been sitting around for quite a while. Don had been, those are right. all just Don Dokken him himself. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, he, he was still filling things out. So uh, getting George Lynch, that was the, the, the magic sauce for that recipe right there. And of course, Jeff Pilson didn't hurt being in a band either. Cause he, He's got a good uh, he, he's got a good ear for writing stuff and right uh, yeah they brought they brought a lot to the band yeah but back then back then Don could really sing oh my gosh I, I I'm I'm gonna say that 1984 or 1985 he was like one of the best singers in rock I mean as far as the great tone hitting everything where it should be great scream uh, yeah. just very easy to listen to it's like if you didn't like his voice then you know, something's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, no. No. Well, yeah. Yeah. That live album they released a few years ago was so such a turnoff. Uh, but I mean, I like the studio stuff that they've done with John Levin. I know that I, I get these into these conversations with people without Lynch in the band, they're no good. No, they've released a lot of good shit without George Lynch in the band. And, and the thing too, is that George, has put out a lot of crap too. You know, there's, there's good stuff. I I mean, those first two Lynch mob albums are just great. But then after that, it's really hit or miss. It's, it's, you know, really good material or really shitty stuff. And then he just floods the market with so many things with a lot of these, you know, frontiers albums that he's okay. Here's a project with, the singer of this, the bass player from here, and the drummer of this other band. Uh, you know, the Michael, he's done Sweet and Lynch, and he's done um, uh, the uh, Ultraphonic with uh, Corey. Um, 
uh, Corey Glover from Living Color. He's done um, yeah. uh, Dirty Shirley with uh, uh, White's future mm. lead singer. Um, he's done, you know, he's done a lot of different stuff where it's like, fuck, if you, if instead of putting out 40 new songs a year, put out 10 good songs, you know, and, and I think people will be happy with that stuff, but what do I know? Yeah. I, well, who knows? Um, I, I think his, uh, having Andrew Freeman in the band, even though he still owes you money, um, I think uh, I think that's a great move by by George because Andrew is such a great live singer and uh, not only a great singer but he's a great front man. I don't I don't know if you've ever seen him um, uh, in, front in video. I've I've seen him perform on yeah. a, a video. You know, not not to offend Rob Rowe, but I've seen many a band live, but on VHS <laughs> and DVD. <laughs> um. Is, is Rob hiding out there? I kid. No, he's not hiding behind, behind his mic today. I know. I know he responded when I posted. He said, uh, "He said, you know, uh, awesome or sweet or something like that." Yeah. About mentioning that you would be on. Uh, but- yeah. Speaking speaking of sweet, I know you're not a huge fan of Michael Sweet's voice. Um, I can't. I can't say you're wrong there. Um, it, 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 uh, although I do have to say that his singing on the Sweet and Lynch stuff, I think, is uh, at least for me, it is significantly more palatable. I think he could find a tonal range that would actually be okay. But guy, that that thing, the Sun Bomb thing, Tracy, uh, yeah. Tracy Guns did. Uh, oh my gosh! If if he'd have got Andrew Freeman to sing on that album, it would have been awesome. Hundred times better. Hundred times. Oh my god! I can't listen to it. It's really tough to listen to. Yeah, I um. Sorry. The 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 single that they released, I I was the the guitar part starts up. I, I love Tracy as a guitarist, and I'm like, oh wow. Yeah, he's great. Kicks ass. I get into the song. I I get into the you know thirty seconds of the song. And I'm like, I can't do it. This is just horrible. This is like. Going in for a, you know having a colonoscopy done on my ears all of a sudden, you know I I just I can't take it, you know and I know that Michael's a really nice guy I know people that yeah. know him and he's great to them and you know he's a great interview to people but I've I've never I've never wanted to speak to him only because I'm not that big of a fan and I remember back in the day. There was a friend of mine who was Stripers, the best band ever. They're for God and they're for this and they're for that. And I remember even back then, I'm like, you know, a lot of these people that are like overly religious like that are usually quite the opposite behind the scenes. <laughs> you know, they're kind of like the, the Jimmy Swaggerts of, of rock and metal is what I was thinking of, you know. And uh, he he would tell me, how can you listen to Iron Maiden? You know, there's the devil is on the cover. I'm like, it's no different than watching a movie where someone portrays the devil. Doesn't mean I'm worshiping the devil. Doesn't mean I believe in the devil. Doesn't have anything to do with that. It's just imagery. It's just part of the tapestry and the illusion of this band. I go, no different to what you're listening to with Striper. And and I told him, I said. You know, they're 
what they're portraying in their image. I said, so you're telling me that they're out on the road. They're not letting the allures of the road, the temptation of the road do anything to them. So they're foregoing groupies. They're foregoing alcohol. They're foregoing, you know, all these other things because, you know, based on what they're singing about, based on what they're preaching. And, you know, as, as, Middle schoolers and high schoolers, as naive as we are, yeah, of course they are. They wouldn't be singing about that, you know, uh, um, uh, if they weren't. And I'm thinking, uh, okay, sure, <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, it kind of comes off as a gimmick. Um, and, you know, I, maybe it was sincere and is sincere or whatever. But, yeah, as, as much as I love Jesus, and I do, and I'm not saying that as a joke, I like my music and my Jesus separated, okay? Except for in church, you know, then I, then then the music should be Jesus. But outside of church, I like my music without Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm okay with a great message in a song, but I mean, to me, it's 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 entertainment. It's fun. It's like you, you know, you're gonna yeah. go on a roller coaster and you want like a plastic Jesus sitting right in front of you there. Would that would that make it that much better? Obviously, no. obviously it would, you know, <laughs> the Jesus coaster, Jesus. dude, we should, we, we could be marketing this stuff. What are we doing here? We need to get out there and start building this amusement park. There you go. Jesus world. <laughs> My brother's rod, the Jesus coaster. It will help you touch the heavens and take you through the depths of hell and back out again. Oh, you're right out. That's right. Yes. Yeah, and then and then at the end you go through water and get baptized. There, there you go. I'm just spitballing here. I, I'm telling you, we our brains are being wasted here talking about music when we should be out there um, making money. Yeah, I mean, we should be spending time thinking about all the things that should be in the gift shop when you walk out. Yep. Yep. You didn't ask that, man. That's our problem. Yeah. uh, uh, Way too ethical. Wait, somebody, is Jeremy crying? Yes. Crying with laughter. Oh, okay. That's a good cry. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Baptized baptized in the tears of Jeremy. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You thought that those were the... Tears of the baptism after coming out of the, as the coaster goes through the Red Sea portion and parts the oh, water. Universal Studios, yeah. See, huh? You know. Yeah, we could do it better. We could do it much better. Metal, Metal Dan has asked me several times. I used to do that on the podcast years ago. I used to do a preacher segment. Um, Did you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he he always says, "I want you to bring the preacher back. I want you to bring the preacher back." I oh, used that's to, what that's about. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to I used to do it was, a, it was an impersonation, which was a mix between Paul Stanley and the wrestler Dusty Rhodes. I would speak with kind of a little bit of a lisp. I would put reverb on my voice, and then I would have like a church organ playing behind me. And then I would start, you know, sometimes it would be an intro. Sometimes it would be a, uh, you know, other segment. There you go. Catastrophe Canaan. Is, is that what you think we should name it, Jeremy? I mean, what, what, what do you think? 
Canaan. Is that Canaan? Is that what he's saying? Canaan, Canaan? I don't know. Yeah. I can't read. That's the problem with this computer now. It's a much smaller screen. So, yeah, the the old eyeballs, not so good. That's All right. So, that's, hey, I know this isn't uh, Ask the Host, and holy crap, we've been talking about nothing here for 36 minutes. Um, <laughs> I do have I do have some specific questions for you. Are you okay with that? I am I am game with that. Okay. Well, obviously, uh, you know, anybody who's spent any time uh, watching you and or listening to you, and if they haven't, well, it's time to catch up, kids. Uh, Victor, you're a drummer, correct? Correct. Was that your first instrument or what got you into actually playing music? Um, my brother played the trombone in, uh, in band at school. And when it came time around to picking an instrument in third grade, like they wanted each of us to join the school, uh, the elementary school band, I yep. said, yes, I want to be Peter Chris. I want to be Eric Carr. So I will join your band, but I want to play the drums. And it was funny because I got this whole pep talk of, well, you know, the drums isn't really an important instrument because, you know, you're going to be playing the triangle or you're going to have to play the ride cymbal or you're going to be playing this or you're going to be playing that. And I was like, Okay, well, I'll learn how to play and read notes and stuff like that. But I know that at some point I'm going to get behind a drum set. So, um, so yeah. So this, so this had to make your parents really happy, right? Well, you got you got to <laughs> figure at least the drum was in tune when I was beating it, as opposed to you know playing <laughs> some other instrument where that was totally out of tune, you know. Yeah, I think trombone that would be that would be kind of a tough one to to get going on and make it sound good right away. Well, was Art, Art pretty flaming on the trombone in his was, day? He was good, and now my uh, my nephew is playing the trombone in uh, in in elementary school. So, and I asked, I said, "Is he using your forty year old trombone?" He said, "Absolutely, he is. Awesome. He is playing the old trombone." So, yeah, you know, we would. Uh, we would bust it out and and pretend to play stuff on that every now and then. But uh, yeah, I, f I finally got my drum set in um, it was eighty seven, I believe. I was in seventh grade. I I had the option. Oh, I kept bugging my parents. I want a drum set. I want a drum set. I want a drum set. I'm like the the kid in the old Bugs Bunny cartoon. I want an Easter egg. I want an Easter egg. No, I want a drum set. And they said, okay. Well, uh, you can have a drum set or you can go to Spain for the summer. Okay, I want the drum set. <laughs> Are you sure you love going to Spain every year and playing, you know, and having fun with your friends? Yep. No problem. I want a drum set. I'll go to Spain next year. And they tried talking me out for the entire year. And then finally, when it came time to buy the tickets, I was like, when are we going for my drum set? Because you gave me a choice. And I got the drum set. I missed out on going to Spain that year. Wow, your parents caved in. I can't believe they didn't figure oh, out a yeah. way out of this. No, they, they caved in. The ticket cost about as much at that time as, as a drum set. I ended up getting a, um, a Pearl, um, Pearl International drum set. Okay. And I ended up getting a, um, a hi-hat and a ride 
um, a ride slash uh, crash symbol, which which is a joke because I broke that in nothing because so thin. Um, and actually, the snare drum that I got from that I had since third grade was better than the one that came with that drum set. It was a premier uh, snare drum. Yeah. So, um, which were hard to find in the States. Premier was a big British mm-hmm. company, Premier Sonar. And, you know, it was difficult to find there. So that's, that's how I started playing. And then by the time, you know, I, the first thing that I learned to play was the song Ultimate Sin by Ozzy Osbourne. Um, that intro by Randy Castillo was the first thing that I ever tried playing on, on the drum set. And then, you know, I remember noodling a little bit in, um, in school, you know, in school it was, Oh, you know, we play jazz. We don't play rock music. I'm like, fuck is this? You know, I was, I was thinking, have you guys never heard of Richie Blackmore in Vey Malmsteen? They wear marching band jackets, Jimi Hendrix, you know? And, you know, I had to deal with all the jazz snobs and stuff like that. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I didn't care. But, um, yeah. So that got me into, uh, drumming, but you know, um, the first influence, you know, obviously Kiss was a big influence and Frankie Benali of Quiet Ride because that was the first band that got me away from Kiss. I mean, I was listening to stuff that my brother had, but Quiet Ride was the first thing that I bought that wasn't Kiss. And then Motley Crue and then Iron Maiden. So, yeah, good stuff. Absolutely. So then you taught yourself to play guitar. Yes. Yeah. First guitar was well, I took guitar lessons as a kid. Oh, okay. And on an acoustic guitar, and I wanted an electric guitar. I'm like, this is so lame. You want me to learn how to play kiss on an acoustic? And um and my parents are like, Well, if you get good enough on it, you know, maybe we can buy you an electric guitar. And the guitar teacher got to the point where he was like, uh, you know, he's not gonna learn. Um, you're kind of wasting his time, my time, and you're wasting your money, you know, after like two years of lessons. Cause I wasn't really learning how to read notes. I wasn't playing anything that was fun. You know, I, I wanted to yeah. learn how to play again. I wanted to learn how to play kiss. I wanted to learn how to play the stones. I wanted to learn how to play ACDC and I was learning how to play Kumbaya, you know, and it was like, you know, and the teacher was like, well, in order to learn how to play Kiss, you got to learn how to play, you know, your rudiments. You got to learn how to play. And it was funny because when I started taking lessons um, back in, I want to say, 2011, 2012, um, uh, my guitar teacher, the first thing he said was, Forget about everything that you've ever been taught about scales or about all this stuff. He goes, you're never going to learn to play anything if that's what you're going to focus on. He said, "You first, you need to learn how to play stuff that you like playing. He goes, if you don't learn how to play what you like playing, you're never going to learn because you're just going to sit there and dread it the whole time. It's going to be a chore and it's not going to be fun. So, and he told me, he said, that's how I learned. He said, I went through all this through all these classes and stuff. And I, I told my teacher, he said, I told my teacher, I want to play like, 
the guys in Metallica. I want to play like the guy from, from Pantera. And he was like, oh, well, you need to learn how to play the Mixolydian scale and, and the Ionian scale and the, this scale and the, that scale. And he was, and he said, um, he said he decided not to go to class one week and sit there with, with the book and say, well, how does this compare to what the guys that I idolize are playing? So he decided to take apart their music and realize how the scales worked into what they were doing. But he said, had he have not have decided to stop going to formal training, he never would have learned that stuff because, you know, the, the mindset was, no, 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 you can't learn songs. You can't learn how to do that stuff until you learn. You know, it's as if you, you have to learn your ABCs and how to write and, you know, all this stuff before you can move on to learning how to do stuff on your own. You know, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said for learning theory and uh, that kind of stuff, understanding why things are the way they are. But I, I think you've hit on an important point. Uh, anybody who has kids that want to play music is, it has to be fun. Yeah. That goes for sports too. I mean, you, you know what that's all about with your kids. If they're not having fun, they're not going to want to do it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You, know, you, you gotta make it, you gotta make things fun for them and, and you, you can still make it fun and educational. Yep. Which is what I do with my students, fun and educational. So there you go. In, ensure ensuring them that they'll die. But not from that. <laughs> yeah, nobody's ever died in one of my classes. Um yet. Yet. There's still there's still there's still time, kids. I think I told you about the one class that I taught and uh, there was a, a kid that was hard of hearing in there. So to make um, accommodations for him, they had like this court stenographer there mm -hmm. that was sitting off to the side. And so they're sitting there with this little, you know, thing, you know, that little stenography thing. And so every time I'm, I'm talking and, and when I teach a class, it's kind of like now I just say whatever I, right. I just go. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I say a lot of stuff I shouldn't say. <laughs> which is why I, tell, I say there's no recording of this class okay because i i don't want to find myself on youtube saying something <laughs> just ridiculous so i would i would go on and on i'd, I'd say something i realized i probably shouldn't have said that so i wouldn't look over at the the woman there at the stenographer i'd say strike that from the record and she <laughs> <laughs> So, so before the stenographer, this is what Brad sounded like in class. Let's see if it loads. Say it! Say it! <laughs> exactly. Uh, what is it? He's really passionate about what I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do a lot of yelling, um, screaming. Uh, I don't stand still for even a second. I, I think I've taken my rock and roll stuff and taken it to the classroom. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I always love it when I get somebody, uh, you know, some older person that's there that gasps at something that I say, you can't say that. I just did. Yeah. What are you going to do? This is, we, we found some tape of uh, Brad <laughs> on the uh, internet teaching class. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. I, I, you know, I was teaching this one class. It was an EMT class and there was this dude in there in a leather jacket. And, you know, he, he had the whole biker kind of thing going on. Uh, and he, he just slept through the whole thing. He had his head down on the desk asleep for the whole thing. And I got to the part where I talk about bites and stings and I'm talking about uh, brown recluse, uh, black widows, brown recluses. All of a sudden he, his head shoots up and he's like, I'm like, Okay. All right. You, 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 I want to know, I want to know what, what's going on in your head right now. I said, you know, you woke up for this, so make it good. (laughs) And he said, he looks at me and he goes, uh, I was bit by a spider once. And then he went right back to sleep. I was, it was. Yeah. So one thing I've learned teaching EMT class is that if you're ever in an accident, and you knocked unconscious and you wake up and there's a guy leaning over and, and they say, I'm an EMT. You, you say, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for the paramedics, okay? <laughs> Bless their hearts. No, there's a lot of great EMTs out there. I've, I've taught many, uh, many uh, good EMTs. Oh, I can tell you a great story for one of my EMT classes. So this guy that I taught at one point, he knew, you know, cause I like to tell stories. And so he called up one night at the poison center. He says, Hey, he says, I, he says, I got a story for you. I'm like, okay, what is it? He says, well, he says, we got called out a guy unconscious. And uh, what it turns out to be is a bunch of guys sitting around an apartment drinking. One of them passes out. Gee, that's never happened at any place you've ever been with people drinking. Has it? Yeah. Right. So, so the guy passes out and then these guys are sitting around trying to figure out what they should do. Well, mm-hmm. one of the guys uh, had seen some TV show uh, the week before or whatever. One of the characters was a diabetic and had too much insulin and, and went into a coma. So he's like, oh, oh, maybe he's a diabetic and we need to give him sugar. So they tried to get they tried to make him eat something while he's unconscious and that didn't work. So this guy says, okay, so we come storming into the apartment. Here's this guy laying face down on the sofa with, with his pants pulled down. And here's a candy bar sticking out of this guy's ass. And I said, well, was it a Butterfinger? <laughs> Which, oh, my goodness. You know how fragile those candy bars are. Johan's not going to get this. If you ever try to like stick a butter, put any pressure on a Butterfinger, it just falls apart. So, Right. I said the beauty of it is that if he had been hypoglycemic, that actually would have worked because he would have absorbed some of the sugar from the candy bar into his body through his butt. And, and uh, it might have helped. But he was, he was just drunk. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah so next time you eat a candy bar you peel that wrapper down you look at that thing just think about that story yikes yeah. yikes <laughs> indeed okay so so you started playing drums yes uh, how, how big was this kit you got your first kit five piece Five piece, good. It's a good choice. I think that's pretty much the classic thing when we were kids. The five piece. I mean, that's what that's what this thing is started out as. You know, two mounts, one floor tom, right? But now, now all the kids are all about a four piece. It's like one mount tom, one uh, one floor tom. I have always 
hated that. Um, yeah. To top it off is you hear people say, oh, this is the John Bonham setup. No, it's not. John no, Bonham two had it. Yeah, well, John Bonham had at least two uh, two floor toms, if not three at times. Yeah. Um, I, as time progressed, built my own rack. So the two toms that are on the um, the bass drum would actually be over to the left of the bass drum. So that, you know, almost as if there were two, like two double, or there was a double bass and the toms would be in between. Although I just had a double bass pedal, um, the, I would prefer to have the toms there. It's just, it, to me, it feels more natural in that position than off to the side like that. That makes sense. Well, I know the, the first time, and of course, well, Peter Chris had that huge kit at one, you know, eventually, I think when he got into the Alive era. And, you know, but the first time I heard uh, Rush, this is for Johan. So wake up, Johan. Uh, <laughs> you know, 2112, whenever he would roll down the, the 6, 8, 10 toms, you know, it was just like, oh, my gosh, that is like the coolest thing I've ever heard on yeah, drums. Yeah. So, of course, that's why I have, you know, these roto toms here because I'm too cheap to buy actual drums, 6, 8, and 10. <laughs> um, but they, they actually sound pretty cool, man. They're yeah. really they're really cool, especially mic'd up. They 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 got a great sound. Uh, so and and I'm like I I don't know. I'm not a drummer. I love playing the drums, but it's fun to have more things to hit. I don't understand why you'd want less things to hit. Um, the argument with that is having to set up less things at a show. Okay, I, I, I having had to haul around drums for so many years because our drummer kept his drum set at my house. And of course, he's not coming over because I live, you know, 30 miles away. He, I, I had to load those things up, bring them to the show, bring them in. He set them up, of course, and then tore them. And then, you know, I had to load them back in my truck and then bring them home and then bring them back into the house. I'm like, yeah, this sucks. This really, really sucks. I mean, this drum kit here, I don't ever want to move this thing. Every time I've had to move it, it's just been the... Uh, it takes me forever to get it set up just the way I like it again. Right. And especially because I have, I don't know what, how many way too many symbols there um uh, so shout out to my my buddy jason harrison smith uh currently sponsored by peisty and he helped me out with his zildjans and his sabians that he wasn't using anymore and uh uh also got me some nice peisty hi-hats so uh, i got so i got a lot of symbols and they're really nice symbols too uh, i love yeah. i love hitting them i just love you know it's like why would you only want two symbols why would you only want one crash and one ride and I mean, the guys do that, and there's guys that can make a, a small kit sound awesome. You know, a good drummer is going to sound good no matter what they're playing on. But it's just fun. It's fun to hit all that different stuff. Yeah, I would uh, at least my setup, and and hopefully the next time I get to the states, I will bring my cymbals back home with me because it will probably cost me about three hundred bucks to get them on a plane. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, they're heavy. Yeah, whereas. If I were to buy them here, it would probably cost three hundred a piece. Oh so, yeah, yeah, they're they're insanely uh, expensive. Oh, they're they're three times as much here than they are in the states. Yeah, they're cheap. Symbols are awful. They're, I mean, they're just yes. they're unbearable. Yeah, I've I've played, and and you know, unfortunately, here when I play with the uh, tribute band that I play in, yeah, I'm left to the devices of what. I'm left to play with, 
you know, so the symbols are usually each symbol is from a different company. They're usually cheap symbols. Um, and I'm very particular with the sounds. You know, I was close to buying symbols a few years back and I just couldn't find anything that sounded right. So I was like, yeah, if I can continue to play that, you know, I don't like the way these symbols sound, but at least I'm not paying for them. Um, so hopefully one day I'll be able to bring them back. And and I mean, a drum set, I could, I was close to getting a, a drum set about a year ago. And I was like, well, uh, I got other things I got to worry about right now. So I do have the electronic set behind me, which, which works for now. But yeah. um yeah, I, I don't know. So someday I'll have another acoustic set here. All right, so let's talk about sticks. Um, do you go for the uh, plastic tip or wood tip? Wood. Okay. Plastic yeah. tips always end up breaking unless yeah. I had the Easton A-head sticks, which were carbon fiber. The original set lasted me years that I had. Okay, they were Tommy Lee's. Until the center, the the, um, the shaft sheared in two. And then when I got my next pair after that, the, the guy at the music store was like, yeah, we don't carry these anymore. I'm like, well, why not? These are great. It's like, yeah, they're not as good as you think. And, and I realized, yeah, okay. So that those pair, those sticks lasted me like three years. So obviously they want you to break sticks. They don't oh. want to have sticks that will last forever. So every subsequent pair of, Eastern sticks that I've owned have been shipped. They've cost 30 some odd bucks each, but they break like there's no tomorrow. The tips break easy. The shaft covers break easy. So I was like, yeah, I'm going back to, uh, to wood. Um, it gets expensive. Yes. Yeah. Sticks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This one, this one's a little bit shredded there. That's my hi hat stick. Um, while you're looking for that, what, what size sticks do you like? I'll show you. Okay. Uh, five B's are usually what I play. Yep. That's, yeah, that's what I'm sporting here. Five B. Yeah. These are Vic Firth five B's. Um, I really like these, which are totally different to anything you may have seen. This yeah. is co coated in rubber here. Nice. For grip. And then this is, uh, it's, it's the same thickness all the way down until you get to the end. Um, these are Charlie Benante from Anthrax's uh, um. sticks. They're a little heavier, but they're very durable. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the five Bs are what I usually go with. Good choice. And these are the Eastons that uh, see the the shaft cover shredded to hell here. The original yeah. ones that I have back home at my parents' house are not like that at all. Yeah this this one here has the uh, has the tip broken off. That has the plastic tip. This has the, you know, and the other thing too is that these are, if you're playing your own cymbals, fine, but, you know, they're they're heavy. They can easily break uh, cymbals. So I was like, yeah, let me go back to the wood as well for that reason. So, 
Cheaper to break a stick than a symbol, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I uh, I I have a buddy who's a, a promoter, and he put on a show with a bunch of bands coming in from out of town, and you know they weren't bringing their drum sets, so he asked if I would drum tech and bring my drums, and I was like, uh, okay. I mean, what what could go wrong, right? Uh, but I said they're not using my symbols, right? Mm-hmm. They have to bring their own symbols, so they they did. Uh, the great thing that came out of that was one of the guys in the, in one of the bands that are from Seattle. I'm trying to remember what the name of the band was. Uh, uh, the, the 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 snare I'm using right now it's a sonar, but it's a cheap one. It's like eighty. It cost me eighty bucks or something. Just a metal right. snare. I could never get it to sound good. Uh, I had this really expensive wooden snare. It's a piccolo snare, but it's a handmade wooden snare that mm-hmm. my buddy gave gave me. And I so I'm like, well, here, you can have a choice between these two snares. And he played around with them and he goes, I'll take this one. And I'm like, you're taking the cheap one over the fancy whatever. And he messed around with that thing and and he he took a one of the felts from the thimble and taped mm-hmm. it to the head and then tuned it and made that thing sound unbelievable. And I've been I've been able to I I messed around with, you know, I saw what he did and and I've learned that that's actually a good way to make a snare sound good. And so that's why I'm using that thing now. I could I get a really good sound out of that. You learn stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So even as a bass player, I can I can still learn stuff. See that? Who said bass players couldn't learn things? Um drummers. <laughs> yeah. Well. No, no. Bass players are the true musicians of the band. They're the ones that actually listen. They're, they're, you know, true bass players anyway. They listen. Can we tell a drummer joke? Okay, so how do you get a drummer off your court? Go ahead. You pay him for the pizza. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all night. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. I know you don't have to laugh at that. <laughs> all right. Well, we probably probably lost all of our audience talking about drum minutia. Although I do have to ask you about this. Okay. Mounted toms. Okay. I like keeping mine angled. Of course, they keep slipping because this is a really old kit. This thing's like, I think from the mid 80s is when this right. thing was made. And so the it's hard to keep the toms in place. But I know, like Eric Singer, you know, he keeps his toms flat, and some other guys do too. And what what is your preference? Uh, it depends on the height of the toms. For example, um, Dave McLean, who's best known for playing in Machine Head and Sacred Reich, um, he has very he he places his toms um, slightly higher than the snare. So he's playing on top of them. So he has them flat in that case. But I usually have mine angled a bit. I remember it used to annoy me to no extent to to see drummers with their with the toms tilted like far beyond what you have. The way that you have it is usually, you know, similar to how I would have them tilted. And I remember seeing people play and. uh, and I, I remember saying this to my cousin, we were seeing a, a, a local cover band here. I'm like, 
this guy isn't a fucking drummer. His he's he's got the the drums tilted at like eighty five degrees. I'm like, how the fuck's he playing that? And he was like, well, what do you know? I'm like, what do I know? I'm like, that's that that's ridiculous. You know, you can't. That's not easy to go around the set if they're at if they're almost flat flat in front of you perpendicular. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And it, you yeah, you watch Eric Singer play, and it's I mean the dude. Yeah, dude's great. What can you say? Yeah, yeah. But I've tried doing that, and of course, I'm not. I'm not that good. I, I I just thought maybe it had something to do with how you started out playing drums. If you were like a marching band guy and used to playing, you know, up on top of things, or yeah, know, I, I probably have really bad form. I play like this. So, but with marching band, it's different though because you're over top of the drums and the height matters a lot because i ended up getting you know a lot of wrist injuries because of that because you're playing for me being as tall as i am i would have to like play close to my body and it would end up you know i'd be in these weird like positions and it got to the point where i remember through marching band season if you were playing a uh, an eight mile parade like we did at one point in the you know 100 degree weather in North Carolina hearing the judge say oh yes the drummer on the right there is not playing correctly he's out of sync and I'm thinking because my wrists are flaring up and full of pain which years later would end up being called carpal tunnel syndrome my friend <laughs> um, yeah if if I'm one of the only people that's playing for the entire eight miles then expect there to be some sort of discomfort yeah yeah it's uh yeah drummer injuries are bad man okay so real quick uh right now your five favorite drummers that you've and we'll go with that you've seen live i know i didn't throw that to you earlier yeah not now you're now you're fucking with me because i didn't now go with whatever yeah five favorite drummers five favorite drummers give me (laughs) give me an album that you would point somebody to, to listen to them play. Okay. Um, I can give you, I'll give you an album and a song to listen to. Ooh, even more specific. Yeah. Because there are some albums where there will be people that uh, will say, Oh, um, you know, that isn't his best album. Okay, fine. But it's, you know, the playing on this track is ridiculous. So this is why I'm, I'm pointing you to it. Um, Number five here would be uh, Eric Carr while he was in while he was alive and in Kiss. Uh, the album Creatures of the Night is my favorite, my all time favorite album. Um, a lot of that has to do because of the drum sound. The song Creatures of the Night is just ridiculous hearing him play in the, just that booming loud drum set. So a song to check out would be the title track to the album creatures of the night. Um, number four here, I have, uh, Igor Cavalera, former drummer of Sepultura. Mm-hmm. Uh, the album is roots and the name of the song is born stubborn. Um, Igor would do a lot of different stuff that other drummers weren't doing because specifically on roots, they mixed a lot of, like tribal sounds with what they were doing. So he mixed stuff like Samba beats, which were not common at the time. He's the first guy that I know of that mixed the Samba beat with anything that's 
remotely close to uh, rock music. And now everyone and their mother includes it. And it's, I mean, if anyone remotely knows what uh, what reggaeton music is, that's the beat you hear in 150% of every reggaeton song that you've ever heard is a samba beat. So, um, so I, I mean, I liked a lot of Igor's playing at the time. I'd actually think that the drummer that Sepultura has now is a lot better than Igor, but we're talking about Igor, uh, 30 years ago who, you know, as we get older, our skills diminish because it is such a physical, physically demanding, uh, instrument, but yeah, it'd be that, um, Number three, somebody who you mentioned earlier, who you've seen in concert more than once, I believe, Mr. Cozy Powell. Oh, yeah. Um, Cozy, you know, it's funny because I kept flip-flopping songs here in bands and albums because I could easily mention something by Rainbow. I could easily mention, you know, for a while I had... um, the song lawmaker off of the uh black sabbath album tear uh because the song kicks off with a cozy pal phil and it's a fast song which black sabbath isn't known for their fast songs so you know for a lot of reasons but off of the one msg album one msg studio album that he plays on let sleeping dogs lie there is there's a few things about this song that stand out to me, just the feel in his playing, how he's playing in the pocket and just the specific fills that he plays are just so great. And they just mesh so well with Michael Shanker's playing. Um, Cozy had a very strong personality. So I'm sure that's why he didn't last more than one studio and one live album with uh, Shanker. But I got to see Chris Slade, who is known for his work in The Firm and mm-hmm. ACC and a ton of other things, play this live with Michael. And it really? broke, yes, and it broke my heart because oh. it was so bad. He was like like the the whole feel of the song was gone with how he was playing. He was playing the fills in the wrong spots. Um, this is the, the around the time that Michael would do a tour and every new tour had new members in the band. Yep. So the tour before, he had Carmine Apiece playing with him. Then he had Chris Slade. Then after Chris Slade, someone else came along. You know, So he was, he was doing these one-month tours and every tour was a different person. So I'm, I'm assuming that Chris Slade probably had like a week to get ready for this for this and probably didn't care <laughs> you know so a lot of these guys hey you know on name alone oh you know i'm not i don't need to i don't need to go in and learn this stuff you know i'll just do it my way and it's like i was listening to the song and i was like ah he's dragging the song the beat just is completely off he's playing something just left of center i get playing different fills but play them in the right spot, not in the middle of a verse where it doesn't make sense. You know, I don't know. Um, so cozy pal. Good choice. Yeah. Clive Burr. Yeah. Okay. Iron Maiden number of the beast. The track is the prisoner. Oh, I love that song. The intro to the prisoner just has a feel to it. 
Clive was very much a feel player. I've heard Nico play this song live throughout the years, and it just does not sound the same mm-hmm. because he doesn't have the same feel that Clive does. Um, there's just something to Clive's playing, which, you know, has a little bottom to it, has a little punk rock to it, has a little Bill Ward to it. It's chaotic in places. Nico is very regimented with his playing. So there's a lot of Clive stuff that he plays that just sounds like too, like stagnant to me. It sounds like too perfect where it doesn't allow for like the breathing between notes and different things that that clive had with his playing you know where when you get to someone that's almost too technical and they try playing something that a field player has originally played it doesn't come off right because they're trying to approach it from the technical side of things instead of just going with what the song kind of calls for which is what Clive did with a lot of his playing and the beginning to the prisoners just to me is a, is an exercise in, in, in being a field player and, and knowing how to, you know, differentiate between the, um, you know, what he's doing specifically with his foot, with the bass drum. Um, you know, no. but you're but you're not such a snob that you're going to say, I can't stand listening to them play it with Nico. No, it Good. just doesn't sound the same. No, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with him. You know, there's people like that, though. It's like, right. oh, you know, Iron Maiden without Clive Burr. I, I can't listen that's, to it. That's stupid. That's just uh, playing. I'm, I'm just glad that they're playing that song, you know, and I'm glad <laughs> to hear their interpretation. The only time that something like that has ever happened to me, and because I was thinking I had like a list of other songs and drummers and stuff, and I'm like, no, but I'm going to go with these five. Um, Ant- Anton Fig on the song Rip It Out on the Ooh. first Ace Freely solo album, he has that section with the fills before the before the um, the solo. Okay. Um, when Anton left the band and they brought in Jamie Oldacre, and if you read um, Ace's, Ace's uh, biography, he says, oh, yeah, um, he was playing for Eric Clapton, so I figured he was good enough for my band. Um, good impression, by the way. <laughs> Old Acre, God rest his soul, sucked playing that. His fills were so bland and bad that I was like, ah, please, Harry Carey. No, it's terrible. <laughs> this, this is going through my heart right now. No, because all he did were like some like some really sloppy fills on a snare, and I'm thinking... Fucking Anton Fig's original solo is him like going off on all the toms and and the and and the cymbals and he's adding double bass and he's doing all these different really dynamic things to the song. It's adding to the song. And just hearing Jamie Oldacre play that, I remember like I can't wait to see the live plus four video because I want to see it live. I want to see what these songs sound like live with Ace's current band. And I was like. This is so bad. This is just yeah. heartbreaking. So, um, isn't it cool though that a drummer could do something on an album that is that much of the song 
that without it, it's, it's tough to, it's like, ah, uh, I mean, you need that. I know what you're talking about, man. I love that drum break in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, like, okay. P- Peter, Chris, his drum break in lover all I can. Yes. You know, nothing really super technical or whatever. Plus I love the sound of those toms on that recording. I yeah. just, I just love it, man. And, but you got to play that. It's got to be played like that or yeah. else it's just like, eh, you know, yeah. uh, another great song like that. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm hijacking your, your list here for a second <laughs> is, um, uh, what do I think? Oh, fairies wear boots, black Sabbath. Right. And I've heard so many drummers play that and you know, the drum breaks in there. Dun, dun, do, 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 do. Yeah. And yeah. you know, also play it in time and everything, but it's, it's just, it's not the same as bill ward. It's just, it, I've never heard anybody do it like where that was really badass. And I, I mean, you think about, Oh, Tommy Aldrich. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. He's on my top five list. And, and even though what he does is great, it's just like, you want that, you want that original drum part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I think, and this is how my playing has changed over the years is that I think for the most part, a lot of drummers want to prove that they deserve to be there. So there's one thing where you want to service the song, fit into the band and do what's best for that position and for that song. And then there's another thing where you just want to prove just how ridiculously talented you are. You know, it's um, years ago at an awards gala, we covered a clutch song called uh, Prophets of Doom. And there's a section where I had to where I had to solo and I was like, I'm not going to play this note for note like this guy because we are two completely different style drummers. But I'm going to try to do my interpretation, you know, without going out there and saying, oh, look at how badass I am. You know, no, I want to do it within the confines of the song. So it fits the so it fits the song. And, you know, because of how I grew up playing, a, a lot of it is derivative of John Bonham or of Bill Ward or of you know, Peter Chris or, you know, or a cozy pal or, or people like this. Um, I've expanded my repertoire as time goes by, but I, I've always tried to do what's right for the songs. When I play in the Misfits tribute band that I play in, that's not something that's overly known for its drumming. It's known for, you know, it's a, it's a punk band um they became more of a metal band in the 90s with the with their resurrection lineup but i i try to focus on making the song as as good as as good as i can and 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 doing what i can to to service the song not going out of the, my way out of my way and oh look i'm going to add this ridiculous double bass drum fill here no i hardly use any double bass when the when I play with that stuff because it, the original didn't have it. Maybe like if, if it's the end of a song and we're like going into something else or the song ends there, you know, it's one of these things where you're, where you're, you know, you're, you're hitting the symbols and the double bass to, to, to try to build, you know, to the end of the song. That's about it. I mean, I don't, it, it, it's uncalled for 
in certain things. That's what I think the problem is. When we talked about in the Patreon group, the first um, single off of the uh, Tony Martin album. Yeah. And I thought that the song sounded good, but I thought that the drumming was way over the top. Like, again, I thought, you know, if Cozy Powell was playing this, if this was a Black Sabbath song with Tony Martin, Cozy Powell, Cozy would have never like tried to squeeze in every single note possible in there. You know, the, the, the song would have, you know, the song would have to call for certain things for Cozy to add. Cozy always added tremendous fills in the right spot. He always played what was best for the songs. And as a result was known as a monster player as well. He did what needed to make, to take the song to the next level. Um, but he didn't have to go out and play, you know, add 64th beats to, to every, to everything that he was playing. He didn't have to play 220 beats per minute, you know, every song. So, um, that, that's why to me, and and I get it, it's become, you know, almost like an arms race where, you know, it isn't metal. If you're not playing this fast, you're not adding these many beats, you're not adding these you know, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of shit is, is put together in the studio with a computer. A drummer isn't actually playing on it. And nowadays there are a lot of live drummers who aren't actually live, who are playing, who are miming to, uh, to their computer. Oh boy. So, because they can't pull a lot of the stuff off live, but, um, for me, my my number one song. Okay, number one, kids. Number one. Right. I, I, I got to pull the, the drumstick out. The the Charlie Benante drumstick once again. Oh yeah, Charlie. Um, Charlie Benante, Anthrax. The album is "We've Come for You All." It's the last album with John Bush on it. There's a track called "Nobody Knows Anything." The drumming is just ridiculous. I know that a lot of people, when they talk about, for example, the big four of thrash, they always say, oh, Lombardo, Dave Lombardo by far was the best drummer. Dave Lombardo has his distinct sound, his distinct feel, a distinct power to his playing. But Charlie always played stuff that was outside of the box, that was different to what others were doing. So that's why I always gravitated to Charlie's playing. And, you know, as the years went by, I remember learning that Charlie wrote a lot of the music, a lot of he was a, a great guitarist in his own right, a great pianist in his own right. So he composed a lot of the music, which, you know, back then was like, ah, you know, drummers don't write anything. Drummers don't write anything. And it's like, well, you look at it. Charlie wrote stuff. Tommy Lee wrote stuff. John Bonham wrote stuff. Uh, Bill Ward wrote stuff. So there are some really big name drummers that, yes, have written a lot of music that you've listened to. Unfortunately, that's few and far between. But um, Charlie's just a, a ridiculous player that, you know, has kind of created his his own style. And I honestly don't think that within those drummers, uh, gets the recognition that he deserves. Um, with that big four, I mean, uh, Gar Samuelson in um, in Megadeth, 
He was the thrash version of Peter Chris because he added a lot of jazz and a lot of swing to his playing. You have Lars Ulrich, who all these years later, a lot of people bitch about him. Oh, well, you know, he sucks live, or he does this, or he does that. I had this discussion not too long ago. I posted it on Patreon. They said, well, Lars is by far the worst drummer out of the big four. Like, well, Lars is probably known more than any of the other drummers because he sold more albums. He's written outside of two songs. He's co-written every Metallica song ever. So just yeah. think of that, what he's composed, what he's arranged, what he's played on. So, you know, you, you can't just think about 200 million notes. You have to think about what that drummer brings to the table and what he does for a song. There are songs that call for a million beats per second. There are a lot that do not. So, um, so yeah. So for me, the the my five that I listed there were Eric Carr, Igor Cavalera, Cozy Powell, Clive Burr, and Charlie Benante. It's a strong list. I remember you talking about that uh, Anthrax song. I don't know, probably well over a year ago on on some other discussion, mm -hmm. and uh, I actually play that song on Yard Metal. So there you go. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out Yard Metal, go to yardmetal.com, download the Yard Metal app, listen. You might hear that song. And you might hear, well, I can guarantee you, you will hear every one of these drummers that Victor has mentioned because they're all on there. And awesome. as well as a bunch of other great drummers too. Absolutely. I'll give you, I'll give you my five top five. And it's tough. It's tough to only pick five, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, good, it's, it's a good problem to have. And of course, I mentioned Cozy as well, but I, of course, seeing him live being my first exposure to him, that's where I fell in love with him. Mm -hmm. One thing that I thought was really cool, you know, the way he set up his drums, he had all the cymbals on the sides, none in the, in the middle. Right. So we're looking at Cozy Pal up there playing, you know, had all the toms and everything. But the way he could go through his cymbals so fast and mm -hmm. hit them all, each with a kick beat, it was, it was like a magic trick watching him do that. It was unbelievable, but you're, but just his playing. I mean, he played for the song. Uh, he, he just, he really made that band for me. Uh, right. And of course, Dio singing those, those two, those two points. So I'm going to go with on stage for um, my, my album for listening to him and listen to the, the lead track, kill the King. Um, mm -hmm. his, his drumming on it is just, just brilliant. Fantastic. Um, you know, his, his thing where he does the, you know, da, 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 and then the, the triplet, you know, at the end of mm -hmm. Tom, Tom thing, da, 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 da. that, that to me was like a classic cozy thing that he would just throw in constantly. And it's just a great sound. So love that. Uh, probably one of the first drummers that I ever saw that I just like, I, I can't stop watching this guy play is mm -hmm. Denny Kamasi. Okay. So I'm with uh, Montrose. Uh, he did a lot with Sammy Hagar as well, but uh, you know, Montrose is where I saw him first. And then he later ended up back with Ronnie Montrose and Gamma. And so okay. I'm going to go with, I mean, the two albums he, well, actually, I guess three albums he did, but the two best ones are Gamma 2 and Gamma 3. But I'm going to go with Gamma 3 and the very first song on there, What's Gone and Is Gone. The drums on that, his his cymbal work is so unbelievable to me. I mean, just watching the way he hits a, hits the cymbal and gets the sound out of it. And, mm -hmm. and if you listen to his hi-hat work on that, where he's so precise about 
you know, it's really tight here. It's just a little bit open here, a little more open here. And, mm-hmm. and he would, he had such control over that. And, and of course he's using Rototoms on the Gamma 3 album. So I, I love that sound as well. <laughs> That's cool. So you got to listen to that song. Uh, Al Bouchard, uh, one of the very first concert I saw was Boys to Colt. And a lot of people will knock his drumming, but I, I'm, I love watching him play for one thing. Uh, the dude just was a monster player, but uh, their second album, Tyranny Mutation, mm-hmm. listen to the red and the black. Okay. First song, but the whole album, he's really tearing it up. And again, his hi-hat work, I, the stuff that he does, you know, where he's doing fills, where he's throwing little hi-hat clothes stuff in there. Uh, just in, incredible uh, work. Uh, Nigel Glockler, since I'm wearing the Saxon shirt, I have to go with Nigel. <laughs> Uh, great guy too, by the way, uh, uh, if you ever get to chat with him, he's, he is completely brilliant. Uh, the power and the glory was the first album he did with them. And he plays his ass off on that. And I actually asked him that. I said, you know, knowing what I know from being in the studio, I would have expected the producer to be like, okay, slow down here, chief. You know, we're, we're just recording the song here. We're this isn't a drum solo. You talk about overplaying. I mean, he's dangerously close to overplaying on that album. He is, I mean, just toms everywhere, fills everywhere, double bass, but yet it fits everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, let's just go with This Town Knows How to Rock uh, as, a, as a good one for you to listen to him play on that, which that song is, is like a drum solo with a song built around it. Mm-hmm. And also that is his favorite song to play live. I, I just remember wow. that from my interview. Uh, I asked those guys, I asked him and Paul Quinn, I said, when you look at the set list, what song do you say, oh, crap, I really don't want to play that song? And and they actually answered that. I figured there's no way they're going to answer this, right? Nobody wants to say that because you're not. they're not the ones picking the list. But they both did. I can't right. remember what song he said now, but I'm going to have to dig that out. But it was, it was pretty hilarious. Um, Paul Quinn, he said, uh, Motorcycle Man. He's like, oh, I've played that so many times, I just can't play it anymore. And, and of course, it wasn't on the set list that night because I interviewed him before right. the show. And Biff called it out off the set list. And I just looked at Paul and he's like, okay. And he tore, you know what? He tore it up, man. He, he nailed He killed it. That's a true professional, too. It's like a song I don't really care about playing anymore. But yet when I do play it, I play my ass off. And that's boys and girls out there who are musicians. That's the kind of musician you want to be. If you don't like the song, you still play your ass off on it. Don't mm-hmm. be that guy in the band that's like, I'm going to destroy this song so we won't play it anymore. And then Tommy Aldridge is my, my next choice. Saw him several times with Pat Travers, and I'm going to go with the uh, Go For What You Know, the live album, mm-hmm. and Make No Difference. Uh, we're going to go with that, the last song on there, which starts off with a huge double kick intro. And, and just the stuff he does on that and the way he builds each verse, the drum part is different in each verse and it gets a little bit stronger each one. And then the last one, he's actually bringing in the double kick with the right. hi-hat and uh, Tommy Aldridge. Amazing. I mean, it's not just about twirling either. Okay. It's, it's one thing, yeah, which I can't do this. I'm not a drummer. It's one thing to be able to twirl your sticks, but it's another thing to be able to really work it in and, and his son, his symbol grabs. Oh, I could watch that guy play for yeah, play forever. See, you you got it. You're you're the real you're the real deal. Um, there you go. Yeah, there's my top five list. Tommy, 
throw Simon Phillips in there, but I, I kicked him out for Tommy Aldridge. Tommy Aldridge is someone who is um, highly influential, but I don't think gets the recognition he deserves because I think he influenced a lot of people, especially in the 80s. I remember when I interviewed Gene Hoagland, he talked about hearing a bark at the moon for the first time. And he said, you talking, I have to go get a dog that's in a dangerous area. Yes. He talked about the fact that, um, uh, that once he heard the song bark at the moon, he knew that it was Tommy Aldridge playing. He said, you know, I was such a huge fan of Tommy's playing that I knew it was him. And I see the video and it's Carmine. He goes, there's no way that that's, that that's Carmine playing. He goes, okay, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. And he said, you know, I saw the video and when the big drum fill comes up, Carmine just starts twirling his sticks and he's like, up. Oh. he goes, yeah, that's Tommy Aldridge. That's not Carmine. Carmine can't play that fill the same way. So that's why he's not doing it in the video. Um, so I, I found that to be funny. And another guy that I think doesn't get enough credit because he's overshadowed by his brother and the lead singer of the band is Alex Van Halen. Alex Van Halen is I think somebody who is ridiculously influential on people because of, you know, so many people wanted to sound like Eddie or pretend to be David Lee Roth without realizing it. When you're doing those styles of songs, people are playing like Alex, a lot of double bass. If you think about it, Alex is probably the first double bass player that got really, really big that, you know, was was known for his his playing and whatnot. And of course, now Carmine is saying, oh, well, you know, that's um, we influenced uh, the Van Halen brothers playing. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, because the, the song by Cactus, this song directly influenced Eruption. And I listened to it and I'm like, oh, wow. So that intro where it's just uh the 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 drum fill and then just the cymbal where he's going off on the cymbal and the double bass and then eddie starts the soloing i'm like no one remembers the intro people remembered eddie's fucking solo you know nobody remembers and i'm thinking besides that that sounds more to me like your classic like steve miller band or or, or whatever from back in the day when they were in, you know, big band songs where they were, you know, the beginning of some of these songs it I, I thought that it borrowed from that. And the fact that their father played in a big band, that it came from that more than something like that. And then I forget what the other song was. Oh no, no. They admitted to this directly influencing hot for teacher. The drum beat is almost the same. Hmm. Has nothing to do the one with the other. Yeah, that's such a crazy drum beat in that song. You know, I had somebody tell me once, this is a long time ago, and they said, you know, I think what gives Van Halen their sound is actually Alex's snare. And I like, I never really thought about that, but you're right. It is a very distinct snare sound uh, that's pretty consistent, at least over the first, you know, four or five albums. Um, I think the worst thing they did was, you know, in the Hagar years when he started going to the fake drums, it just kind of like, eh. But uh, yeah, his drum sound was really good. Yeah, the the well, he changed for fifty one fifty. He changed, 
and then for for unlawful carnal for unlawful carnal knowledge, he changed his snare sound because the, he they got Andy Johns to produce that, and he was the guy who always um, mic'd up John Bonham's set, and he wanted to sound mm-hmm. like Bonham's. So the snare and everything sounds completely different on that album. But uh, yeah, even even when he went to the electronic drums and everything else, I mean, it's 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 his it's his distinct style and feel. Yeah. A, a lot of people mistake that, you know. Oh well, who's the best drummer? Who's the best? Well, each person has their own style because everyone has their own their own heartbeat, their own blood their own fingers their own everything you know everyone's clock is slightly different and as much as you want to get as close to the original as possible and there are people that can do it sometimes but then when they have to write on their own and sound like that person they can't do it yeah you know um that's um last year i think it was or maybe the year before that i had monty Pittman on who studied Mm -hmm. Uh, at um, Randy Rhodes' mother's place, and he has a song called "Double Edged Sword." And when he's soloing, it sounds like Randy Rhodes soloing under the premise of his song. Tracy Guns, who's also studied there as well, Tracy does certain things that are very Randy Rhodes like. Um, you know, without trying to sound, you know, without trying to completely glom the Randy Rhodes thing, he's adding different arpeggios and progressions that are similar to what Randy did. So you hear that and you're like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's that that comes from that. That's the influence. So um, to to me, that's. It's 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 cool to hear that when somebody can take an influence and make it sound like something else without, you know, some of the videos that I do post in Patreon, they're not only trying to sound like the bands, but they're dressing like them and they're. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't so know. For, for me, as far as like who's best and all that, I, it, you know, I, I can't really say how good anybody is until I actually play with them. Right. Then you really find out what they're all about, because, I mean, they might be able to really play stuff really fast or, or really crazy things. But yet, as a musician, uh, they're really tough to play with because they just don't have a feel. Right. Uh, to me, that's more important. That's something you really can't teach as well as how to do scales really fast. Yeah. I mean, there's drummers I've played with that it's just like you're playing with a machine. You're not playing with somebody who's feeling it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Same thing with guitar players. So, the so uh, fun, funnest experience like that was that I went to. Um, uh, there was a friend of mine who was putting a, a cover band together, and I needed to go meet the uh, the singer of the band. And the first thing he says to me he goes, "Don't look at his hair." I'm like, well, "Why not?" <laughs> He's like, "Well, it's not real." What do you mean? It's like he wears wigs. Like, what do you mean he wears wigs? He's like, um, we have to show up when he tells us, because if not, he he's not ready. I'm like, well, what do you mean he's not ready? So we showed up one day, like uh, out of the blue, we saw him. Like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, holy shit, he's wearing a different 
fucking rug. Oh my God. So he had like his short, like business, like look. And then when we showed up to play, he had his hair look like, um, Nigel from uh, spinal tap. Um, he was wearing like short shorts and a tank top and, and he was like, dude, you know, I saved up all these bras that were thrown up on stage from when I played in the other band. We're going to put this all over the drum set and we're going to do this and that. Like, okay, well, what song do you want to play? Uh, let's play uh love song by Tesla. And all he wanted to play was ballads. And I was like, yeah, oh. I'm not into this. Um, and he was, it was funny because I was, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'll do, I'll do backing vocals for you. And he was like, well, you got to keep the vocals down lower. They can't be as loud as my vocals. I'm like, well, then fucking turn my mic down. You know, I, this is how I sing. <laughs> what do you want me to do? It's just crazy. Well, you know, I get it. You're, you're a good singer, but you can't be overshadowing me. I'm like, all right, well, just trying to do what I can. <laughs> so, yeah. Tough times. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's tough to find people who are good but also fun to be with as well. Yeah, because you know, at this at this stage of the game, if it's not fun, then why are you doing it? Exactly. So yeah, that should be your motto for life. If it ain't fun, why are we doing it? Unless exactly. you're getting paid, then it's like, well, okay. Paid, then. Yeah. And it's fun when you're going to the bank. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you, you gotta do stuff that isn't fun. That's why it's called work, right? There you go. Yeah. So anyway, we are going to be wrapping things up here. As usual, we get some cool stories out of Brad. We got plenty of music talk as well. And I tease people about the tuna fish sandwich story, but it's kind of a long one. So we're going to save that for the next time I'm on. No, the next time you're you're on, you're going to be talking about Rush. Okay, I can't tell tuna fish story during Rush. So we'll, the next time I'm on is just you and me. Yes, the next, the next solo know, appearance. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a really good story. We'll save it for next month. There you go. Yeah. So it's a great story for Johan since it involves uh, food, a guy who thinks he oh, has okay. food poisoning. Yes. So. Excellent. So on that note, we are leaving you with a, a cliffhanger here. That's right. Um, until the next Yarg episode, uh, thanks everyone who is in the chat. Thanks everyone who is watching or listening to the replay. We will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream. We'll Keep back. rocking, everybody. There you go. All right, guys. See you. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 